I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the cycle of the lectionary, we are now in the season of the apocalypse. And so to uh, symbolize that, we leave our red hangings up. Uh, red is the, uh, the color of fire and blood, and so we use that for saints' days, martyrs' days, uh, days of the Holy Spirit. And here in Vernon, we also use it for this season where the readings turn to the fire and bloody imagery of the apocalypse. And because um, Gary gets to pre- preach next week, I only get one kick at this um, particular topic, so I'm doing the apocalypse in general today as opposed to the specific um, uh, nuances. I'll, I'll touch on them, but, but really I want to do some reflecting about this apocalyptic tradition within Christianity because it's big. It's, it's there. It, uh, much of the New Testament is based on the assumption that the day of the Lord was coming and in fact was practically there. Uh, Paul himself was convinced that it was going to happen within his lifetime. Um, and so there's that apocalyptic urgency that informs the New Testament in many respects. Um, and so I, I'm going to talk about this word, apocalypse. I'm going to talk about the apocalyptic material that we have in our scriptures. And I know it's a subject of some discomfort for Anglicans. Um, we, we don't know what to do with it. We know we, we don't take it literally. And okay, and so, so, so now what is my question? So what do we do with it? Uh, we're not actually secular. It does need to inform us if the scripture is divinely inspired, as I believe it is, there is some message here for us in this apocalyptic literature. And if we don't take it literally, what is God trying to tell us through this imagery? So when we, when we don't take it literally, we still have to take it seriously. And so we take it seriously in the sense that we do our scholarship, we do our study, and, and we come up with that, that this is, I mean, the best expression I've heard um, is that the apocalyptic imagery is the Middle East dreaming. Um, and the images that are being used to express um, what, they, what their inspiration was are the dream imagery of the Middle East. And so we can, we can say that comes out of a particular culture and time, which is not necessarily our culture. And so we can, we can look for patterns and we can look for um, uh, um, uh, concepts that inform us in our own faith journeys and in our faith practice. Now, one of the standard ways of interpreting the apocalyptic material um, in certainly Anglican circles is that, you know, the, the day of the Lord is coming, and uh, there is a way of interpreting that in a personal way. My day of the Lord is going to come at some point. That'll be the day of my death. And the day of my death is like my own personal apocalypse. And so the, the advice that comes out of it is to live every day as if it were your last. And that's profound and good advice. That's not where I'm going today. I'm, I'm going more broad. It, my scope is a bit more broad. It's more cultural. It's more social. It's more about us as human beings. And uh, my, my focus is cultural and social because I believe that's what this material is about. It's not about individual people. We can interpret it that way, and there may be a word of the Lord for us there. Um, so I'm not, I'm not writing off that sermon. That's a good sermon. It's just not today's sermon. Uh, the sermon today is on what this means for us as a people and of the, as the people of God. And what is the apocalypse that is informing our understanding of our faith journey and our faith practice? And here, I, 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 I'm not, I've never been particularly worried about 
God wrapping up all creation tomorrow, so I better be ready or else I go on the lake of fire. That's never been my particular concern. Number one, because I believe that God is a loving God, and yes, there will be judgment, but ultimately the judgment is built in love. And so the, that Middle Eastern imagery of that massive torment and, and punishment is not something that has spoken to me about uh, the God who I worship. Um, the, it, instead, I, I take a, a more Greek approach to this apocalyptic material, which is to say that the apocalypse is baked into our experience of existence and creation. And, and when I say that, I say the, the apocalypse in the sense of that original meaning of the word, which is an unveiling, a, a, a revelation, a, an unveiling of truth. So where things are under the surface, they are revealed in these apocalypses. And for me, an apocalypse is an experience that happens within history, and it comes and goes. There are times that are particularly apocalyptic, and there are times that are less apocalyptic. And the, and the apocalyptic times, nobody wants to live in an apocalyptic time. Um, but at the same time, there is a blessing and a work of God in the time of apocalypse in the sense that things become very clear and obvious that were hidden in other times. And so I think about our time right now. I, I, my, my first thought upon moving into this section of the lectionary is why couldn't this have been in August? It would have been perfect. Um, August was a literal apocalypse. I mean, I, the, we, had, we had fire in the sky and darkness. I mean, I looked over the hills of Spalamsheen and it looked like uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings with the Balrog emerging from the, the crypts. It was fire and smoke. Um, and in the midst of that, we had a global plague going. I mean, we, I mean all we needed were locusts to fill out the, the horsemen of the apocalypse. We, we were in it. And what was interesting to me about that is that um, from the perspective of that experience, certain things about this literature start um, emerging that I couldn't see because I had not been in that kind of experience prior in my life. And so here's... All that is leading up to the one thing that I've got to share this morning, which is there's, a, there's an interesting through line between Daniel and the gospel. And in Daniel, we have a mention of Michael, the archangel Michael, who's going to be the great prince and the defender of the people. And so this is, this is absolutely part of the Middle Eastern apocalyptic dreaming, that at the time of the great chaos and trials and tribulations, there will be some messenger from God who will defend the people. And, and I hear this um, as an expression of that deep longing, because in a time of apocalypse, you realize how small you are. Um, you, normally, when things are going along great, you go, oh yes, the power of the might of my arm and the power of my hand has gotten me all that I have, and, and I'm getting along, and I can solve it, and I'm capable and competent. And when you are faced with the fury of nature, you realize that you're a very small creature, so you want someone big to take care of you. And so the, the ancient Middle East dreamed of a Michael, a Messiah, someone who commanded the power of God and the armies of God to keep the people safe and bring about a good result. And so that is baked into our New Testament where the, the ancient desire for a Messiah to redeem Israel is what we Christians interpreted our understanding of Jesus. I mean, that, that became one of the fundamental images of how we understood God to be present in Jesus, where Jesus was the Messiah, um, that for which the Middle East longed. Except the problem 
for us and for others is that he didn't look like the Messiah that was being described in, in, um, in that prophetic material. He looked quite different. He looked vulnerable, and in fact he died and got killed by the earthly forces and then rose again from the dead, but he didn't fix everything and he didn't smite everyone with a sword right away. And so that was the fundamental problem of the Christian interpretation of Jesus as Messiah, is that he didn't look like that military Messiah, the Messiah that, that imposed by, by force um, God's kingdom on the earth. And in fact, what we came to understand is that, the, that what God was trying to tell us is that the kingdom is something on the inside, and Jesus is the one who fights for us and who brings the kingdom about, but he does this in a spiritual way in our hearts. Now, when we read Jesus, the Michael figure, the warrior, the one who is the, the king and the high priest and all the rest of it, talking about end times, we have the disciples asking him about, you know, the end times. That's what this gospel is. It's Mark 13, which is our apocalyptic chapter in Mark. And uh, Jesus points to the temple and says, one day all these, this, every brick will be thrown down, not one will stand on another. And of course, he's talking about the destruction of the temple by the Romans, which was an apocalyptic event. Um, and for, the, for the, the Jews, the temple was the center, the holiest place of how God was present with them as a nation. And Jesus said, one day this will be gone. And then, of course, the disciples say, well, how will we know that it's, this is the time that God is going to do something new? And he doesn't tell them that... Um, he doesn't tell them, here's how you'll know you're in an apocalyptic time. He actually answers obliquely. And he says, be careful. And, and it's precisely about who you trust in times of apocalypse. When you are desperate for someone big and strong to make everything right, there will be no shortage of people who will step forward and say, that's me. Follow me and I'll make everything right. And so people will follow them. And Jesus' warning is, don't. Be careful. There are lots of bad actors who are happy to exploit chaos and confusion. And there's going to be no shortage of people that says, um, many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. But Jesus' fundamental point is, don't fall for it. In times of apocalypse, don't fall for the ones who say, I will solve all your problems, because inevitably they are... Um, a charlatan at best. Instead, he says, do not be alarmed. And that's the other key point that really stands out for me after this apocalyptic summer, because we were alarmed. The fundamental experience of all of us in that experience was fear. And fear drives us to make these decisions, to follow people that offer a, a chance, a way out, um, some sense of security. Oh, if I just do what they say, then I'm going to be safe. And Jesus says, Watch out for the fear. The fear is not going to lead you to good decisions. Instead, remember that the end is still to come. This isn't the end. So my interpretation of that is that Jesus is saying we will have apocalyptic times. And these apocalyptic times will reveal truths that we don't see in ordinary times. And yet we need to be um, calm and faithful and remember that God is involved in all of it. And so we need not to be uh, uh, driven astray by following whoever looks like um, the, the leader that we would love to have save us. Um, 
but we need to be uh, calm and confident in God's presence through the apocalyptic time. And he, and he finishes this little section by saying this is the beginning of the birth pangs because the other thing about apocalypse is that it is a birth. There is, there is this image of chaos in the scripture that is both terrifying, but it also is the birthplace of new things. God does new things, and God does new things in apocalyptic ways. And this is, a, for me, a consistent pattern of how God intervenes in history and with human beings. So in today's apocalyptic times, the question for me is, where is God in all this? And usually, God is present in both hope and in judgment. And so we see in an apocalyptic time, for example, who is serving their own interests and who genuinely cares about others. That becomes really obvious when times are tough. And number two, um, when we are in this particular time, we we say, what actually could be brought into being? What could be born? And if you look back in history, for example, at the destruction of the temple, Judaism was reborn after the destruction of the temple. They could no longer take for granted that the temple would always be there and the sacrifices would always take place and they would always be God's chosen people with the land that God gave them. And that all became lost. And so what Judaism did, as I believe continuing to be the people of God in their way, um, they redefined Judaism and they found God instead. They perpetuated their special relationship with God through family and synagogue. And so something new came into being. The, the origins of modern Judaism came, in, came into being. And I believe that was a work of God that was bringing that people of God into a new place. I believe that... Um, as, an, as a church community in the, uh, the dissolution of Christendom, we are in a similar situation today. Our temple is being destroyed. We are no longer the center of Western civilization, and Western civilization is moving on without us. And so the things we have taken for granted about a little village church in every community um, where everybody is nominally Christian and you can assume that people can get a biblical reference if you throw one out, all these things are no longer the case. And so like those um, post-destruction of the temple Jews, we are starting to ask the question of, well, what is God's relationship with us? How do we be church in a time when the things that we have known and have taken for granted for centuries may not be the case. It is an apocalyptic time for the church. And in the same way, there will be all kinds of people that say, I am he, follow me, I have all the answers. If you only do what I say, the church will be great again. Um, and uh, watch out, says Jesus. And also, it's the beginning of the birth pangs. Something new is being born. And we just need to follow the voice of the Lord to find out what that is. And I believe because of that experience of Judaism and because I, what, that's what I think is the current context facing the church right now, I expand beyond that to something even as big as the climate crisis for global humanity, that these are the beginnings of the birth pangs. I do live in hope that something new is being born, Are the things that we have taken for granted, are no longer going to be possible. And that's terrifying. And there's going to be tribulation. Yes, there will. And yet, do not be afraid. Don't run after the demagogues and see it as the beginning of the birth pangs of something new and be part of whatever God is doing in even this apocalyptic time. 
because the final message of the apocalypse is that all is subject to God's authority. Everything that happens is within God's plan and God's purposes for humanity. And it, it may be scary, and it may be uncertain, and it may feel chaotic, and yet God is doing something new. And that is a fundamental attitude that we can take, that is either we can be terrified or cynical or despairing, or we can be hopeful. And that is the gift that the Christian tradition has to offer the world in a time as anxious as this one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.